Hi there, this is Lisa Rudman from Making Contact. It's time to put your money where your media is. Please support Making Contact today and click the donate button at radioproject.org. Help us produce our people-powered radio and become a supporter at radioproject.org. Thank you, and here's the show. I'm Anita Johnson. This week on Making Contact, we'll examine the feminist movement through the lens of period activism. We will look at aspects of women's health and social justice that are often overlooked. From period stigma to the unfair tax on feminine hygiene products and the fight to regulate and disclose ingredients in tampons and maxi pads. Dearth of good research on vaginal exposures was shocking when I started looking into it. We've got a lot of studies on how chemicals are absorbed through your skin. We've got some studies on how you, how you absorb chemicals into your body when you inhale them. But nobody's looking at the vaginal root, which is really a different story. Um, this is an area of the body covered uh, with mucous membranes. It's very, very permeable. Different chemicals can come in at different levels, particularly um, the chemicals that have been researched are ones that have kind of hormonal properties, things like hormonal uh, contraceptives. And these chemicals will go directly to your uterus. I mean, that, that's what they found, that the levels kind of systemically in your blood will be very low. They'll be very high in the uterus. So it's really affecting the reproductive system, particularly when chemicals are exposed through this vaginal route. Tampons, pads, menstrual cups, all used to collect a menstruator's vaginal blood flow while on their period. Wait, did that just repulse you? Well, if it did, get over it. Women bleed on average about 40 to 60 days out of the year. The menstrual cycle is part of what makes pregnancy and life possible in the first place. So why are women around the world made to feel dirty, cursed, or unworthy because of their monthly periods? Many women resist these unflattering and socially irresponsible norms by pointing to patriarchy and reclaiming the narrative around menstruation and feminine health in the media. With the book, I wanted to reclaim not only our ancestry and our traditions, but I wanted to reframe the conversation around menstruation. That's Ida Salazar. She wrote the book, The Moon Within, a coming-of-age story that explores the themes of new love, gender identity, and first periods. The book offers readers a refreshing radical perspective of menstruation that is centered in a woman's power rather than shame. We have lost the relationship that it's a powerful thing to menstruate. And patriarchy robbed us of that and, and gave us a, a narrative that said that our menstruations are dirty, to be feared, to be ignored or silenced and or sh- of shamed of. And so I wanted this book to be not only a book that readers would really uh, gravitate to because they're, they're curious about their lives and, and they're changing lives at, that, at the moment, but one where they would understand the deeper significance of what it means to reclaim that power. It really is an act of resistance to be able to speak about your period without shame, to know that you menstruate for seven days and you don't die. And that in that same process is what brought every single human being into this world. Every person came from a menstruator, and yet it has been silenced for years and relegated to shame and secrecy. Women from all walks of life are shunned and stigmatized while on their periods. Whether it's something subtle like feeling undesirable or something blatant like being barred from a place of worship 
or forced to sleep in a menstrual shed. This approach of pushing women away for simply experiencing a normal bodily process can have seriously harmful impacts on women's self-esteem. Nolan Sofuentes, a self-taught portrait photographer based in Los Angeles, California, believes that negative associations with periods can even undermine self-care and healthy engagement with one's body. Period stigma and being feeling ashamed about your period, it doesn't allow you to talk about your body in a healthy way. I mean, if you're ashamed of your body and something very natural and actually something very beautiful and powerful that your body does and you feel bad about it and you don't want to talk about it and you even like disconnect with your body, you know, you're like, this is like a thing that happens to me that's gross. You're not going to feel good about yourself. Aside from the emotional changes that menstruation can bring on, periods can cause a range of physical challenges, but it can be difficult to talk about. And the silence is harming the long-term and physical health of women. Ida Salazar. You know, there hasn't been any conversation around people who menstruate and how painful it is with like endometriosis or multiple cysts and, and whatnot. You know, there are all sorts of conditions that afflict menstruators that, that we can't even talk about. There's a, 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 an incredible ignorance. Many women don't know what their vulvas look like. They've never seen them. They don't know um, what it is uh, when they're pregnant or when their their pregnancies are failing. Um, I had a friend who had an ectopic pregnancy recently, and she did not know the process a fallopian tube, you know, gathering the egg from the ovary and putting it in, into the uterus. She didn't know that process. That to me is so shocking. But these are reflective of how the stigma has snuffed our ability to explore and to understand our own bodies. And it's this pathology of silence and social stigma intertwined with misogyny that has kept women virtually mute on the subject. But the shame and secrecy around menstruation is slowly diminishing as it's challenged by a new generation of period activists. Some women are using shocking means to bring attention to the normalcy of periods, like London Marathon runner Kieran Gandhi, who refused to wear a tampon and was seen smiling in her blood-stained biker shorts at the finish line in 2015. Or like photographer Sefuentes, who recently curated a photo series called Period Peace, depicting queer couples enjoying period sex to challenge the stigmas associated with menstruation. So having this conversation with my friends and then being so freaked out and grossed out about it just inspired me to make a photo series showing that period sex doesn't have to be so horrifying, you know, and that it actually can be very uh, uniting and bonding and, and intimate. For the most part, the photo series was well received, with some criticism coming from individuals who felt period sex shouldn't be openly explored outside of the bedroom. But that didn't stop Nolan from bringing attention to what she sees as an issue of social control. Yeah, I absolutely believe that, um, you know, people with periods not being able to be in control of their own narratives, that is a form of a huge form of gender injustice. I think that the way to rethink this and to take back control of our bodies, um, realize that this is a social stigma that we've been conditioned to think by people who don't get periods, that we've been conditioned to think because of extreme religion that sees women as, you know, objects to be owned by cis men. Um, so the first thing is just becoming aware of that 
And then once you're aware of that, you can start talking about it. So I think we just need to be like very vocal about it. We need to not, you know, secretly hide our tampons when we're like passing it to a friend or when we're buying it. Just be more open about it and be, be more proud about it. This emerging movement has led to some pretty creative efforts by individuals who are choosing to address menstruation through literature, photography, and even social media. Ida Salazar. There's an interesting uh, hashtag on Instagram or, or anywhere you can find. It's just hashtag menstruation. And you, you'll see how incredible women and menstruators are taking back that fear and that loathing, that, that narrative that people have given us by demonstrating what it is to bleed and making fun of it and celebrating it in different kinds of rituals and, and actually showing blood. And, and there are certain artists who are creating artwork with their menstrual blood. Some are just are being very educated and very uh, didactic about it. This is the way your body works. This is this is what the inside of a uterus that is bleeding looks like. There's this, a lot of movement I think that is happening across the country to combat that. In her book, The Moon Within, Ida reclaims indigenous period rituals as a way to empower women and celebrate the beauty of womanhood a departure from the Western perspective that periods are biological and nothing more. My book included period, end of sentence, the documentary that won the Oscar recently, also as part of this kind of zeitgeist that is understanding that we're not going to let the narrative, the dominant narrative that our menstruations are the curse or to be feared or loathed, to continue. We're going to stop it by reframing the narrative, by challenging it and celebrating it. It's this kind of excitement that's both challenging patriarchy and providing space for women's conversation about their health and wellness. It's a new wave in an old ocean of women's deep knowledge, new rituals building upon some of the women-centered ancient rituals celebrating our periods as a natural process, aligned with the moon cycle. For Making Contact, I'm Anita Johnson. We are all used to paying sales tax on most of the things that we buy on a daily basis. Taxes, after all, are a significant source of state revenue, but there are certain items that don't get taxed, items designated as being basic necessities that are medical in nature, items such as aspirin and Viagra, for example. So why then are feminine hygiene products, basic necessities, still being taxed? Reporter Rosie McLeod looks into the so-called tampon tax and how it's impacting women around the world. Over 20 million packs of tampons are sold every year in the UK alone. A woman uses an estimated 240 individual tampons per year. Sanitary towels and tampons cost the average British woman over £18,000 in a lifetime. That's more than $23,000. So what makes these very basic items so expensive? Well, they are taxed as luxuries at a rate of 5%. This policy is by no means unique to the UK. In the US, tampons and sanitary towels are treated as commercial products. They have a sales tax that varies between states. Ten European countries tax menstrual products at over 20%. This is now known as the tampon tax and was kept well hidden until it was called out in 2014 by Laura Corriton a student living in London. Laura launched a petition on the website change.org. The purpose? To remove the tax on feminine hygiene products. 
The cause went viral and accumulated over 320,000 signatures, forcing many people to question the logic of a tampon tax to begin with. Laura Corriton. I looked into our taxation system and realised that like, even though tampons are taxed on a luxury basis, there are loads of other things that are taxed, or not taxed at all, um, because they're considered so essential, like maintaining our private helicopters or like eating horse meat or crocodile meat, which is two things we eat a lot in the UK. <laughs> Laura's petition made great strides by succeeding in the UK. However, the government won't consider ending the tampon tax until 2022. In the meantime, Laura has taken steps to ensure the government deliver on their promise. We decided to start this thing called Period Watch, which will essentially just keep an eye on the government and make sure that they know that we are aware of the fact that they haven't done it. We asked lots of people to send in stories of their periods um, or just like fun facts or whatever, just so A, to keep an eye on the government so we can update people through that um, site and B, just so we can continue to like break the period to be. The taxation of feminine hygiene products has been allowed to happen under the radar, largely because the topic of menstruation is still so taboo. It's rarely addressed in daily conversations, let alone public discussions. Opening up about periods has therefore been central to the American sister campaigns, widely known as the Campaign for Menstrual Equity. Its co-founder is lawyer Jennifer Weisswolf. Here's Jennifer talking about her book, Periods Gone Public, which has become a centrepiece for the campaign to end the tampon tax. The book is actually intended really to be a platform for a policy agenda, but in doing so, of course, we wanted to uh, explore um, the history of menstruation, particularly in the United States, how uh, access is so impacted by the ability to afford menstrual products, um, why it is that they're expensive, why it is that we know so little about them, um, how you know religious and social and cultural stigma fits in. So all of that is part of the book. But um, what the book kind of culminates in is this policy agenda that focuses to ensure access to products through, through legislation, um, whether at the city, state, or federal level. I, I was watching this tampon tax campaign unfold here in the UK and in Canada and in other parts of the world. And I thought, well, we should be doing that here in the United States too, because at the time, this was late 2015, um, so 40 of the 50 states at that time did not exempt menstrual products from sales tax. So it was going to mean 40 different campaigns. But it struck me as just part of sort of the entire uh, structural disadvantage that women face just in leading their lives. Um, and we've seen tremendous progress in the United States on the tampon tax um, issue. 24 states in two legislative sessions in 2016 and 2017 introduced um, bills to exempt menstrual products from sales tax, and four actually got it done, which which may not sound, you know, that still leaves us with, with 36 states to go, but four states passing laws on an issue never before talked about within two years is actually radically fast progress. Increased awareness around the tampon tax has shown that not all women can afford basic sanitary items. This has given rise to a new buzzword, period poverty. This phenomenon is characterised by a lack of access to sanitary products, menstrual hygiene education, toilets, hand washing facilities and or waste management. The recent recognition of period poverty has produced a number of action groups working to provide menstrual products to those who cannot afford them.
According to Girl Guiding, the British equivalent of Girl Scouts, 49% of girls in the UK have skipped school on their period because they could not afford feminine hygiene products. Tina Leslie believes that the lack of menstrual education, combined with the challenges of poverty, create serious hardships for girls and women all around the world. Hardships that are totally preventable. Tina founded Freedom for Girls to provide maxi pads to women in Kenya. Volunteers hold workshops and show women how to make the pads. Basically, it was um, a colleague of mine who said to me, she rang me up and said, I've got some girls, you know, in this school and they're not coming to school because their parents can't afford sanitary protection. But also as well, one of them actually said that she didn't even realise what a period was. She was having a period for two years and she just kept quiet. On the back of the, you know, the Kenya thing, it was the same as, right, well, what we are going to do about it? Let's start something up. Let's start providing schools, colleges... Refugee agencies, refugees, anywhere that needs products, we will try and supply them. So washable reusables that we make, they last around about three years. Um, the menstrual cups are around 10 years. I think the poverty issue is, is a really big issue, especially in the UK. I mean, it's, it's all over the world, you know. Why do we know 60% of girls and women in Kenya um, don't have access to safe you know, period protection? But we don't know what it is in the UK. Because, you know, all the research that's been done has been on very small cohorts of girls. So between 14 and 25-year-olds, what about all the women? All the women that are suffering period poverty. Many influential women have taken the first steps to destigmatizing menstruation by unapologetically bringing the topic to decision-makers. As recently as October 2019, the founders of women's reproductive brand Lola along with the Campaign for Menstrual Equity, have named the sales tax unconstitutional. Since 2014, menstrual products have been weaponised in debates across the wider political landscape. Tampons have become central to a war between progressives and conservative legislators. In 2017, it was announced that some of the UK tampon tax money was funding an anti-abortion charity. Some oppose scrapping the tax because that money could be spent on government-sponsored women's causes. Women's causes that, interestingly, were not such pressing issues before this whole debate unfolded. Despite the efforts of activists in the UK and in the US, female hygiene products are still considered luxuries and the unfair tampon tax continues to create barriers for women worldwide. For Making Contact, I'm Rosie McLeod, reporting from London. You're listening to Don't Let Them See You Bleed, period, on Making Contact. If you like what you're hearing today, you may want to check out a podcast called The V Word. Making Contact shows are distributed for free to radio stations in the U.S. To find out how to support us, download shows, or get our podcasts, go to radioproject.org, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. Our handle is making underscore contact. Now back to don't let them see you bleed, period, on making contact. It's estimated that 85% of menstruators in the U.S. use up to 16,000 tampons during their lifetime. Feminine care ads often promote tampons as a way to be secure while on your period. But how safe are these products? And there's really so much that we don't know about how these products are affecting our health. That's Alexander Scranton, 
the Director of Science and Research at Women's Voices for the Earth, a national organization working to eliminate toxic chemicals that impact women's health. There's a fair amount of data on toxic shock syndrome, which is linked to a bacteria that can grow, particularly in tampons, and lead to some very serious effects. What we don't know is no one's really looked at how many um, other kinds of reactions, um, adverse reactions like rashes or infections that are associated with the use of either tampons or pads due to the chemical exposures that come from these. We certainly have no idea whether women who use tampons are getting more cases of cancer than women who don't use tampons. No one's even looked at asking these sorts of questions. The business of feminine hygiene care is a $3 billion industry that isn't required by the Food and Drug Administration to list product ingredients and chemicals used in the processing of these ingredients. The Food and Drug Administration regulates menstrual products like tampons and pads and menstrual cups as medical devices, um, I guess because they are absorbing, uh, you know, internal uh, fluids, et cetera. And because they are medical devices, there is no law on the books that says that medical devices need to disclose their ingredients. And so for largely companies have not been disclosing that information. It's this labeling of tampons as medical devices that has presented the greatest barrier in consumers' right to know. Consider the fact that there are two main types of period products, external and internal. External products include maxi pads, while internal products or tampons go directly into the vagina to absorb blood flow before it exits the body. A woman's vaginal wall is so permeable, any toxin and chemical in a tampon can be absorbed into the bloodstream. We have found some very questionable chemicals in these products, um, some that have been associated with cancer and reproductive harm. We find them at very low levels, but we don't know what that impact has um, on these products that we use, you know, several days a month for nearly a lifetime. As women, we have become so accustomed to seeking out products that will most likely avert a period disaster that we have not fully explored the health impacts of these feminine hygiene products. Alexandra Scratton from Women's Voices for the Earth, launched the Detox the Box campaign created to raise awareness about the chemicals and their potential harmful impacts on our health. When we started the Detox the Box campaign, we only found two studies that were kind of in the available literature um, that looked at tampons. It was looking at, at chemicals called dioxins and furans, which are very, very highly toxic uh, chemicals linked to cancer and linked to a number of other health problems. So there were two studies that were done. Both studies concluded that this wasn't a problem, even though they did find certain levels of these products in tampons. And then we couldn't find anything else. So we, in 2014, took some Always Pads, the leading brand um, in the U.S., took them to a lab and had them analyzed for volatile organic compounds, which are chemicals that can be very toxic that can gas off a substance. So these are chemicals that were actually gassing off of the pad. We found things like styrene, um, benzene, toluene. Um, these are not very um, <laughs> friendly chemicals. They're certainly more associated with kind of industrial exposures. And we did find them at very small levels. Since then, we've been kind of tracking the data. There have been about 15 other studies that have happened around the world. Um, a lot of other countries have tested pads um, and tampons for volatile organic compounds. There's been a great increase um, in interest in testing um, for pesticides. Um, we don't know what these exposures mean yet. Again, usually it's very low levels um, of these chemicals, which the companies tell us are not a problem. Um, but we think there's we need more research to really understand what these exposures mean and, and where they're coming from in, in the process of making these products. When we see ads for tampons and pads, we definitely don't hear about what it takes to make these products. 
like bleaching of fiber or what Tampax lists on its website as the purification of cotton and rayon. And although tampon manufacturers started to adopt less harmful processes in the late 1990s, traces of the highly toxic chemical compound dioxin can still be found in rayon raw material range at undetectable 0.1 to 1 parts per trillion. While the FDA currently requires tampon manufacturers to monitor dioxin levels in their finished products, the results are not available to the public. For a long time, these manufacturers have said, we have our experts, we assure these products are safe, and people have trusted that, okay, they say their products are safe, they must be safe, and surely the government must be on top of it. Um, unfortunately, our laws are simply not that strong. Um, the, the manufacturers are not required to explain very carefully how they're ensuring that their ingredients are safe in their products, or even how they are researching these products to assure that they're safe. Um, we've tried to get some of that information through, you know, Freedom of Information Act requests, et cetera. It's very, very difficult to get. They're very hesitant to share what that information is that they know about their products and how they're ensuring that they're safe. But I really think these days the sort of stance of, you know, trust us, we're the experts, is no longer satisfying for many consumers. One would think that anything that we put into our bodies should come with a list of ingredients and, if necessary, a health warning. Kind of like cigarettes. But as we know, using the tobacco industry as an example, seemingly simple disclosure about ingredients and the possible health risks do not come without a fight. When it comes to women's health, there are some advocates within the government who are demanding transparency from companies that produce feminine hygiene products. We have a bill in New York State that would require manufacturers to disclose the ingredients in uh, menstrual products. There's a federal bill um, that Congresswoman Grace Meng has introduced called the Menstrual Right to Know Act. Um, so that's getting it also into the kind of the public sphere because it's going into Congress. There's the Robin Danielson Feminine Hygiene Product Safety Act. This is a bill that's been introduced about nine times um, by Congressman Maloney of New York, also requiring more research into the health impacts of period and intimate care products on women's health. Seventh Generation, an eco-friendly company, is one of the champions of the Menstrual Products Right to Know Act. On their website, Seventh Generation states that consumers need to worry about what the heck is in the products you use around the vagina, calling for tampons, pads, and vaginal dish packaging to include a list of ingredients on the label, especially given the cancer risk linked to dioxins. It's amazing how little research there is. I mean, one interesting fact that does get, you know, nobody ever hears about, we read one study that says that the uh, incidence of vulvar cancer, which is a very rare cancer of the vulva, has increased 411% in the last 30 years. I mean, it's just this mind-boggling increase in the last 30 years. It's, you know, a very, very small number of women, and now it's a larger, very, very small number of women um, who get this cancer. But, you know, this is not something that can ex be explained genetically. There is something happening that is causing this massive increase that really needs to be looked at. So, you know, there can be lots of factors that contribute, but the products that you use every day should not be one of those factors. That should be something that we can rely on to be safe. More than 90% of human exposure to dioxins comes through our food supply, mainly meat, fish, shellfish, and dairy products. So does this mean that we should not study the presence of dioxins in feminine hygiene products? The message that women get is, tampons are safe, dioxin traces are very low, there's nothing to worry about. But this is where research scientists like Alexandra say it's time to prioritize women's health through research of feminine hygiene products, through product transparency, 
and through strict safety regulations, even on so-called organic pads and tampons. Overall, our laws on chemicals and products are just unfortunately weak. It's really hard with the laws we have in place right now to regulate chemicals in the products that we use every day, whether they be cosmetics or menstrual products. People don't want to talk about vaginas. They don't want to talk about these products. They let things go. So they don't get the same attention. Certainly, it has not been a priority for the Food and Drug Administration. We have tried, you know, petitioning them. We did a petition a number of years ago on feminine washes, which had some very dangerous, or we believe, very dangerous colorants in them. And we asked them to produce some guidance uh, for companies as to which colorants were going to be appropriate for this use. And they just straight up said, you know, we've got competing priorities, and this is not an appropriate use of our resources. This is not something we want to pay attention to. So yes, I think there is definitely a level of sexism. This is a women's problem. It's not something that's going to get a priority either from Congress or from our government agencies. For Making Contact, I'm Anita Johnson. You've been listening to Don't Let Them See You Bleed, period, on Making Contact. If you like what you heard today, check out our website, radioproject.org, to get a podcast, download past shows, or make a difference by supporting our work. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Our handle is making underscore contact. I'm Anita Johnson. Thanks for listening. <laughs>